In this episode, I talked to my friend Jeff. I actually know Jeff through work. And when we used to work together, we often found ourselves talking for long periods of time about anything that was interesting at the time, whether it was an event that happened recently, or whether we're talking about some historical event, or whatever else it may be. I always enjoy talking to Jeff because I think he's a very deep thinker and is very knowledgeable about many different subjects. One of the subjects that he really is passionately very knowledgeable in is history. He can often name a specific battle and the impact that that battle had or specific days that had a huge impact on the French Revolution or whatever else it may be. And I always find that interesting because honestly, I don't, I don't find myself reading Wikipedia articles about some of his historical events or listening to history podcasts or reading any sort of history books. So in this conversation, I was really interested to find out why Jeff has this interest and what really fascinates him about history. I honestly can say this was one of my favorite conversations I've had and I really enjoyed it. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. All right. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you doing? Uh, very good payment. It's uh, great to talk to you this morning. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think I told you this previously, right? The, the, the reason that I was interested in talking to you is when we used to work together, um, I always found you super interesting because you know so much about, I mean, kind of everything, but especially history, right? Like anything would come up and you would just like be able to recite specifically what happened in that moment like in that moment in history and what the lessons are that come up related to that. So I just remember that we used to talk uh, maybe longer than we needed to sometimes when I would just turn around and say something random to you. And those conversations were really fun for me. So I thought we might as well just do it on a podcast. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good opportunity. I enjoy the chance to talk about random things. Definitely. Exactly. All right. So I don't, I, I don't even have a set plan of where to start, but maybe I'll ask the very general question. When, I mean, I know that you have a lot of interest in history, right? If I were to ask you generally, what are your interests? Like what Wikipedia articles do you mostly read? And you have to categorize those Wikipedia articles. What, is there a certain category of knowledge or events or whatever you may call it that really interests you that you find yourself reading for long periods of time? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I would say I, when I first started getting interested in history, the, the period that initially was of the most interest was I enjoyed kind of ancient Greece and ancient Rome, because we, we did that in social studies in grade seven or whatever. And there's just a lot of things that happened in that time that you get echoes of down through the ages. So that, that, that period was sort of the first sort of era that I was interested in. And then later, I'm just interested in all sorts of different things. Uh, uh, medieval history I find extremely fascinating because I, I like sometimes a lot of the little littler known things, but I mean, you don't get to the littler known things unless you go through the well-known things first in a sense. But and, and I do enjoy uh, uh, the other thing, the other podcast, especially recently that I've enjoyed is uh, the one from Mike Duncan called Revolutions. And they talk a lot about famous revolutions like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution. Those, you know, those pivotal points in world history where things turned. And, and I, I think those are, are, are very interesting. So I want to like take a step back and just like go through the mind of Jeff as a teenager or whatever great, like when did you find yourself gravitated towards 
history, right? Like, do you remember? Yeah, do you remember I, I, one story that made you be like, "Oh my god, this is so interesting! I want to learn more." Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, like most things, unfortunately, I have to give the credit and blame to my older brother. Because you know, it was often the things that he was interested in, I would get interested in. So in, in that way, I was a little more precocious than you know I would have been for my age, just because I was hanging out, having discussions with my brother. He's two and a half years older than me, so not that much older. But yeah, uh, so I, I haven't met your brother, which I think I because you keep talking about like you guys talk about these things, like when you meet and you're just chilling. Do you talk about history and or what are the conversations you guys usually have? I I, t- I told him that we I was going to be on a I was going to go on your show. He he threatened that he would call in, <laughs> and I we said it's not a call in show. You can't. Really, we were j- joking. Obviously, he knew that, but <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I would say in grade seven is really when I remember. I, I loved reading the almanacs, sort of just you know I'm a bit weird with facts and you know, memorizing capitals and, and looking up geography and things like that. And I remember really getting into reading Roman and Greek history then, and then kind of built off it from there. The other one I'd say that I got really interested in around that time was the studying the Second World War, you know, like a lot of people, you know, I, I read, I read Winston Churchill's six volume set, you know, and, and that, that was kind of a starting point for me, because I mean, it's easy to to see the Second World War is not that long ago. And when I was young, it really wasn't that long ago. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that in the modern world came from a, events that happened, you know, in the early part of the 20th century. And understanding them is kind of, uh, yeah, it just makes things make more sense. And in a lot of ways, if you actually look in the details, you see that things didn't have to turn out the way they did, right? I, I find alternate histories can be interesting as well. And sometimes, you know, we, we shouldn't. And if you all, the other thing that I find interesting is when you look at what predictions people made for the future, how generally speaking, people don't make very good predictions for the future. So if you read predictions from 1900, they're not very good. You read predictions from 1950, they're not very good. So we really shouldn't think that the predictions people make today for the future are very good either. So there's a bit of humility in that just by knowing the past and knowing history. So is that the part that interests you the most about history is just like how it is impacted today and how different life could be if certain events didn't take place? Like I'm trying to find out what, yeah. int- what the core is, why you're so interested in history. Sure. I mean, for, I mean, a lot of it is you're, I would say that I was always interested in it. So um, like, it just gripped me when I was, you know, 10 years old, I got really into history. So, I mean, it could have been something else. And for a different person, they wouldn't have that same thing. So I can't try to transfer my interest to other people. But for me, history is simply the story of everyone who's ever lived. I mean, how is that not interesting? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you put it that way, how is that not interesting? I, I think some people get pressure because it's like they, they think of history as oh you need to memorize this or you need to you know why don't you know this or you know and it's like well I'm more interested in the things I care about I don't want to read your stupid facts about some dumb guy 200 years ago who really <laughs> I don't like and wasn't interesting right so I get why if you're forced into doing history that someone wants you to do you may not get into it but um, yeah if you find and, and a lot of people find their own history like they, you might get into you know like young adult adult 
young adult novels, which are set in historical periods. And there's a lot of dramas on TV that they set in historical periods. And, and you know, or even like Game of Thrones is a fake history. But I mean, getting into the world of Game of Thrones in some sense is just like getting into a historical period, right? Yeah. So. I, I see I see what you're saying. So you're saying it's like the storytelling aspect of it and like just you're just interested in some story that happens to have happened in the past and happens to be true. But at the end of the day, it's the story that's really. Yeah. And and for me, I admit that I've never been as good at reading fiction as nonfiction Mm -hmm. because, you know, you read fiction, you're like, that didn't happen. (laughs) And and you're like, you nonfiction, you go like, oh yeah. Okay. That's the Napoleonic code. They still have that in Louisiana or, you know, you start reading little things or this is what, happened in the British Empire in 1860. And that's why the, the queen is on our money. You know, just there's all sorts of echoes of just little facts from the past that you can you can yeah. get. But 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 I, I don't know how to generalize that. I mean, that's what makes me interested. But I think everybody has to find their own things that yeah. are interesting. And I don't so, think, I'm not surprised that other people don't have the same interests. Yeah. yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to find out because, I mean, the way that you're describing it now is, given the fact that the storytelling aspect of it and like kind of the suspense of fi- figuring out like what exactly happened is what interests you, then it must be that you have some favorite authors or people who convey that story in a manner that's easy for you to consume and fun for you to consume, right? Like Dan Carlin's podcast, I know you're a huge, huge fan yeah. of it. Was that something that like completely changed the way you consumed history? Like, is it so much more fun for you that way? Uh, yeah, I would say the, the two I mentioned were Dan Carlin and Mike Duncan. Like they're the two best history podcasters for sure. And but having said that, I mean I was already into history when I started listening to them. It wasn't like they got me. You know, unfortunately, I'm a little older, right? So I mean, it wasn't like they they introduced me. Uh, but I did find it a game changer to listen to history podcasts um, because you can. I mean, my favorite thing to do would be to play a stupid. I, I often play like a game like Civilization, which is like a, a computer game where you're working a civilization up from, you know, Stone Age to present, which is just something to kill the time that I do rather than, you know, watch TV sometimes. And to listen to a podcast while you do that, I find is a good thing. Or just driving while you listen to a podcast. I really yeah. enjoy, I really enjoy when I used to drive to work, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you listen to a podcast and then, you know, a few weeks later, you've listened to you know, the history of Byzantium, right? You know, and then yeah. you, feel, you feel like you know something, but yeah. Yeah, but now you have to, yeah, it's, it's got to feel weird, right? Like I have the same feeling, like my favorite part about my commute has always been like, you know, like I look up a good episode of a podcast for me hasn't always been history podcast, but it's just like a conversation that I'm like, wow, this is going to be so interesting. And I get excited to just walk to work and listen to that podcast, you know? Um, yeah. I kind of miss that. Yeah, and I, I know I, I mentioned uh, when you first started that yeah. I, I did my four-week drive around the U.S., which was, which was a lot of fun. And it's, it's interesting because some people would get bored. You know, you're yeah. in a car driving eight, 10 hours a day. And I, I went from where we live in Vancouver, down the West Coast, uh, you know, through the South, through Texas, up through uh, to Washington, D.C., up to Maine and, you know, to, to Quebec City and then across from there. So, you know, it's, it was 15,000 kilometers or something like that in, in four weeks. And when you do that, you're doing a lot of driving. And I love the fact that I had a, you know, 200 part podcast that I was listening to knowing that 
you know, I'm not even going to finish this by the time I get my thing done. I have no shortage of things to listen to. It's like finally time enough to listen to, you know, a history of the Civil War, which is what I was listening to a lot when I did that. Yeah. And yeah. In terms of other things I'm interested in, certainly the Civil War was the U.S. Civil War was one that I always had an interest in. Um, and you, yeah, that would be another kind of event that I got interested. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. So I, I don't want to talk about specific events. Yeah, I'm no, still no, trying no. to figure out, you know, like I'm, I'm going at the high level of your interest, but I would love to talk about the specific events. Oh, so no, no problem. Went, yeah. yeah. When you went on that road trip, right? First of all, was that road trip? So I, I guess if anyone is listening, if anyone else <laughs> other than me listens to this. Let's uh, give some background. So you, when I first met you, actually, I probably haven't hadn't met you properly. You take, you took four weeks in your car and you just went coast to coast across uh, United States and then came back through Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, which was crazy, right? That you did this alone and you just listened to a podcast, which I thought was so cool because even though I didn't know you that well, like everyone talked about the fact that you're such a, history buff and you love seeing like monumental stuff and i remember like uh irina would show me pictures of you like in different places and i'm like that's like we could all tell what a great time you were having was that trip something that you had planned and you wanted to do for a long time or how did that trip come yeah uh, so i mean i i would put the genesis of the trip um when when i was six years old i was born in nova scotia and we moved back from nova scotia to victoria british columbia and when we did that, my dad drove the car. He always told the story of when he brought, he, we flew and then my dad brought the car back. So he did like the trip in like four days and he drove across Canada. And, you know, he went really fast and probably sped a lot because it was 1979, nobody probably cared. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always thought that was the coolest thing. So even when I was a little kid, I always wanted to drive across Canada. And I did yeah. have the, the opportunity to go back to Nova Scotia in 2012 but I realized that I just didn't have enough time to drive because if I was doing a two week vacation, I'm driving there and then I'm driving back. It just seemed like a dumb use of your time, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like go there for a day and, and a week there and a week back. And then I was like, no, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do four weeks yeah. so that it's mostly about the journey, not about getting somewhere and then getting back. And there were lots of places in the US that I've never been to that I really wanted to, to go to. And specifically, there were there were there were two sort of uh, stopping points that I wanted to do, and I got a chance to combine it in one trip. Uh, one was I have a friend who's down in Houston, so I was able to drive down and visit him for a few days. And we went to Austin, and we went to San Antonio, and just hung out in Texas, which was fun. And then I visited some cousins I have in Washington D.C. So yeah. it was kind of so I was I kind of had those two little stops, and it was kind of. But but I mean, what were the before you uh, took off on the trip? What were the things that you were most excited? About? Like, was it seeing your cousins, or was it seeing some monument that you like had heard so much about and seeing? Yeah, I'll, I'll confess, uh, seeing the people wasn't like my priority. Like, I was happy to do that. In case your cousin listens to this, don't get no. I, I, yeah, and no, yeah. I don't. I don't mean that to be rude in the sense of because, <laughs> uh, I you know I've seen them before. They visited here, so it was good. I did enjoy the idea of going to the place. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of also if you're in somewhere for a few days, you feel like, you know, you have a more grounding. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I really enjoyed getting a chance to do was I mentioned I was listening to my Civil War podcast when I did this. <laughs> so I went to several Civil War battlefields on the trip. I went to Gettysburg. You know, I went to, I went to Vicksburg, you know, and uh, I went to Antietam. 
I didn't make it to Shiloh, but you know, so it was just interesting to, 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 to listen to something while you're driving down the same roads that were the place. That must be crazy. Um, and and, and it's, it's kind of like, you can kind of like, it gets dark, you kind of squint your eyes and you, you know, you feel like you're, 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 you're living, you're at somewhere. Of course, they're not shooting at you, but you know, there, there was, there's something kind of neat about that. And just uh, going to some other, you know, generic tourists, I can go to the Grand Canyon, you know, I, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's a big hole. It's beautiful. You know, I mean, it's, it's exactly what you expect. And, and then going up, uh, driving through Maine and just, you know, kind of like dipping my toe in the Atlantic ocean before driving back, you know, just, yeah. I, I enjoyed the geography in the place. I, I would say also the U S is a really underrated physical <laughs> geography country. You, you know, going, going to new Orleans was, was uh, another highlight. Just, you know, you hear about New Orleans, you see movies and shows set there, and then you, you see it. And it's, it's yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so I, 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 I really enjoyed, you know, just, just the chance to, to see and visualize a lot of the places you've heard about. And also because it was a slow trip, right? It was almost like, um, you know, sometimes they do those videos where it's like 10 hours of taking a train through Scandinavia and you get like a sort of like a slow you know, like ASMR or whatever, right? It was that yeah, yeah. sort of feeling where it was just it wasn't just you're there, you're back. It was just you know, you're 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 in it. You know, you're, it takes yeah. time. And you didn't have like a huge time constraint on you, I guess. So it just the only thing was I had, right? I had no. That was good because I anchored it with a couple points. Like I, I had to. I was going to my cousin, and they had a someone's birthday party was on one day. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to be there for that day because I might as well, right? Yeah. It's not like you know. I could have missed the birthday because you know it's not like I catch any of their other birthday, yeah. <laughs> but it was just it just seemed like it was like a good good thing. And and yeah. uh, when I met up with my friend in Houston, like fixing like I'm going to be there these dates, going to be there this date, that way I could, and then I could just sort of plan around and then drive as much as I did, and if I wanted to drive more that day or less, and then I never booked the next day until I was the previous day. Wow, that really surprises me because, like, knowing you, I know you like things planned out and knowing no, exactly that's... what happens. Or that's like that's a different part of. Is is that a misconception? Like, no, I... I'd say that's a bit of a misconception in a sense. Really, I like I like the general plan, right? Yeah, with the specific anchor points, right? I so I had I had I'm in Houston this day, I'm in Washington D.C. this day. But I didn't like say like, oh, on this Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to go visit, you know, Salt Lake City for, you know, 40 minutes. And, and then, you, you, know, don't, like, you don't say you don't you do that in any aspects of your life, right? No, you, I'm, you... I'm more like I, I like to have the big idea, but I'm not micromanaging the future. I like to. to, to, to That's to, the way to do it. Yeah. So, so it's a mix. Right. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. just and having said that, I mean, truth be told, I did have most of it. <laughs> planned and, and I and I and I did keep pretty closely to what I planned. So it wasn't yeah. like I didn't have a plan. Yeah. I did I had a you know an idea every day I said does it take this many hours I'm gonna do this. Yeah. Truth be told I did stick to most of that. <laughs> but but having said that well, you had... there, were, there were times where it's like no I'm not doing this today. I'm gonna go here instead. Yeah. Whatever. So you had the general plan but you had the added flexibility that you could be flexible if you wanted to. Yeah. Which is which is a nice thing, right? Because a lot of times when you're traveling and everything is set, you know, there's so much unknowns that you're experiencing so much new that if everything is planned, then you're not, you can't maximize your like happiness or whatever you want to get out of that trip because there's so much that you don't know, right? There's a lot of information that you don't have yet 
and you you shouldn't make decisions based on information you don't have yet. That that's wise, exactly. Yeah. You, you if situations change and facts emerge, you should change your plan. Yeah. Rather than go like, oh no, I was said I'd do this and. Yeah. So we can take this on a parallel, which is not related to history. I don't know sure. if this finds you interesting, but that's why it's important to think about goal setting in life, right? I was talking to a friend of mine about goal setting the other day, and um, I think like my views on goal setting have changed, right? Like this idea that like when I am whatever X years old, when I'm like 60 years old, I want this specifically, or when I'm like 32, I want this specifically. It seems like it's better to have a general guidelines of like, I want to live a life where whatever, I am more free or what I, where I'm doing something that I like, like leading those general goals and then living through life where you're just making decisions that push you towards that direction rather than having these specific goals of saying, I want to be a whatever by 32 exactly, right? I yeah. think that's a parallel. I, I think so. And you also have the problem is like, say you had, I want this by 32 and yeah. you work hard and then you do it. And then yeah. it's like, and now what? Right. Yeah. You know, like you want the, you want the things to be achieved as a part of the process. Yeah. Right. I, I think just putting like little sticking points and then, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. That's, that's a really deep one too, right? Because you see it in like professional sport, like people always talk about their motivation, you know? Like when they don't have the, like, you know, like when in their mind, they just wanted to achieve something and they have achieved that, like they have no, they have no desire to go after it anymore, right? It just depends on what did they want in their own mind when they started this, right? Like, why were they doing this in the first place? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for just sort of inspiration and yeah. sort of like when you're actually inspired and you're, you know, you, you, you realize you have levels you didn't you didn't understand that you had when you were just kind of painstakingly just forcing yourself to go towards something because you think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And those things are so different, right? Like your experience of doing them, like when you do something that you just feel like you have to do, that experience is so different than you when you just do something because you really would just want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, there's certain things that if you said, well, I want to be a lawyer, yeah, I don't feel like going to law school. You know, like you yeah. have to. Sometimes you have it's to do yeah. certain things. So yeah. I mean, of course, like of course. everything in life, it's a balance. But yeah. but generally speaking, yeah, very very wise. Right. That was a tangent that we went on that's not related to history at all. All right, so I think I now have a good understanding of why you're so interested in history, and like we talked about this trip. So now I'm interested to hear some of the biggest historical events that you find that just blow your mind, you know, like you just love hearing, reading about it and why. So is there such events? Yeah, I, I'd say for me, one of the biggest ones was, of course, the, the fall of the Roman Empire. Okay. Why did it fall? You know, what happened there? You know, where do we go from here? How, how do we make sense of it? And specifically, you know, the Western Roman Empire I'm, I'm speaking of, although the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire and in Constantinople is also interesting, but um, if we go back that, you know, it used to be that the Roman, the Romans ran almost all of Europe, you know, around, you know, you know, first century AD and a few centuries later, it all fell apart and there were barbarian tribes uh, walking around these Roman ruins, looking at them going like, wow, these guys were pretty cool to have built this. I don't know how they built this stone. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, that it's a, it, that that for for me was a, as I, I kind of mentioned Greece and Rome at the start, but just sort of 
the notion that civilizations wax and wane and just sort of understanding that everything is not permanent. I, I, I mean, that was kind of a mind-blowing thing for me when I was... All right. I don't know if this is realistic. Would we be able to talk about the high levels of this in 5, 10, 15 minutes? Or it's like it's not there's no even points well, we attempting can, to do that. Well, we could certainly try. But I mean, you, you have to drive based on your sort of if you can follow it, then we're OK. But if it's just, you know, <laughs> uh, spouting uh, off for 10 minutes, I don't think so that'll try be very to interesting. try to keep it at a very high level and I assume I don't know much other than the Roman Empire was very powerful, right? So yeah. now, now give me the high level and our sure. listeners, because I'm sure someone else is going to listen. So sure. Well, let's, do. well, we can yeah. start in 753 BC. No, I mean, essentially Rome was originally just a city state in Italy. And then gradually over time, they were very militaristic and they had a very strong warrior ethos in a sense. So they did well for centuries, eventually gobbling up little bits of territory and, and, you know, fighting. So by the end of like the second century BC, they were a, a regional power. And then they had a couple of big conflicts, uh, kind of first with Carthage, which was in Tunisia, which was, they were a great maritime trade empire. And then, and then with the Greek states in sort of the Balkans. And then because Rome won those wars, partly because their, their soldiers were very good and they were very good at getting the manpower of their country to fight in their wars so they would lose a battle and then show up the next day with you know a new army and the other guys are like oh this sucks you know <laughs> so so i mean essentially they went from you know just a city in italy that was just was you know a pale shadow of egypt or you know babylon at that time to to running the mediterranean and then eventually they conquered Egypt, you know, the, the Middle East, Turkey, and sort of like France and Spain. And then all of a sudden, so all of the Mediterranean, everything that touches the Mediterranean became Roman. And you know, so they called it, you know, RC, you know. And I think, and, and then, then, then uh, you know, a couple centuries of pretty successful peace, the Pax Romana, um, they had good currency, they built aqueducts, you know, they had, chariot races and all sorts of exciting things, you know, like where you could bring in animals from Africa and stuff from Britain and all of a sudden, you know, like a real European empire at that point. But I guess in, so, in some sense, you know, the people who are outside the Roman empire learned from what the Romans were doing in terms of how to fight. They got wealthier too, because they would trade with the Romans. So the, the barbarians kept coming and they kept getting better. <laughs> Whereas in, in the good in the good old days, you know, the Romans would come in with their great weapons and a bunch of peasants would be like, what the hell's going on here? And they get taken over. And then later, well, they they started to fight. And a lot of it also was in in the in the early days of the Roman Empire, there was really a sense of citizenship. And the the Roman armies were full of Roman citizens. And and the the ones who were most likely to die in a war were in fact the leading aristocrats in Rome, because they were the generals. And the, so, you know, there was a real sense of uh, involvement, right? And you can make comparisons if you want with the American military at this point, I think you could, <laughs> because, you know, uh, but later they, as they became wealthier, they took over a lot of these countries. So they had a lot of slaves, you know, and the people who ran the country got richer and they're like, I don't really want to go fight in a war. We're already doing pretty well. So they'd hire people to fight in the war. 
So many of the wars and those. Sorry, can I interrupt here? Yep. Just just to clarify. So you're saying those soldiers that came later just didn't care as much because they were kind of hired and like it wasn't in their blood to like protect the Roman well, Empire. Is that is that what you're saying? A little bit of that, and 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 a lot of it was also in the second or third century AD when the Romans were fighting wars against the Germans. For the most part, the soldiers fighting on both sides were Germans because the Romans would hire mercenaries to do the fighting because you know. Why go fight in this stupid cold place for some stuff? You know, we get, we're rich. We have all this money. Let's hire some guys. And by the way, these guys are pretty good fighters. So let's get them to fight for us. So you 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 end up with a lot of mercenaries fighting for for, for the empire. And then yeah, that, I mean, then then that's hard to keep because you know a lot of them were going like, well, this is great, but why don't we just take the country because we're the ones doing the fighting, right? Because, you know, soldiers, it's always a battle between you have a top general, he's out there loyally serving your emperor or your king or whatever. And then he's like, well, I'm doing all the work. Why don't, why am not, why am I not king? Right. So certainly later on, especially in the third century, the, the, the Roman generals started basically kept taking over, you know, killing the emperor and taking it over. And that, that didn't help. The Roman and, and and their motivation was because they felt like they were like as a general they were not getting the respect the money or like the power they were like power and wealth i mean a lot of it is also in ancient times things were very precarious at all times right the, the, the whole idea of like now where you know you're working and you're putting money in the bank and then 40 years you're going to retire and you're expecting your money to be there yeah. Right. Like if you're living in the third century, you know, you're salting things away. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a, this new barbarian tribe just came over the hill. We're all enslaved. You know, oh, that sucks. Right. Like, you know, people didn't do a good job of preparing for the future oh. because things were much more precarious. So people were always trying to secure, you know, something for their tribe, their family, themselves just you know get power if you if you've got the power then you're safe if you don't have the power then you're at the the mercy of those who have it so things were very dog eat dog so so like is it that the generals were thinking that these people in the power are like are making such bad decisions that i think my family is going to you know like the family if i'm a general my family is not going to survive because these guys are making such bad decisions therefore i should become that person so that I make better decisions? Or is it that the pure fact that I have power allows me to withstand anything bad that happens because powerful people just survive bad things better? Yeah, I, Which I think one it's, of those cases is it? I would think it's the latter. I mean, it, it's always difficult to try to psychoanalyze people from the yeah. ancient world. Because <laughs> I mean, because if you read if you read what they wrote, they didn't write like this, right? You that you don't you don't Get the impression that these are people on the psychiatrist's couch telling you what they think about things. Yeah. Um, so, so, so they never, never, you never hear people speak like that. Um, I think in general, though, it was it was for power. It was for yeah. power and protection, not because they were upset with the people who were running it. Although, I think it would be if they were upset and they thought the people running it were terrible. Yeah. That would, and they often did think that. You would just think, well, this is my opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so, so if you're a Roman general in Britain and the Roman emperor is really popular and does a really good job, now's not the time to try to do a rebellion. But mm -hmm. if he keeps losing battles and everybody hates him and your soldiers love you, maybe 
maybe now's the time. So, I mean, so, so uh, sorry, I, I, I keep thinking of other things. Tell me if this yeah. is too irrelevant. Okay. Like you said back in the time there, you couldn't find anything where they would share their like psychological uh, stance on things or like how they felt about decisions, right? Was Marcus Aurelius the Stoic? Is that oh. a complete different time? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Sorry, just to be very clear, I say yeah. no one. I'm, I'm saying generally you don't yeah, see that. Yeah. Um, it's of course that's that's not entirely true, and of course you know yeah. I know you know you're Stoic. Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> of course, was a great Roman emperor of the second century. That was the same, AD. same around the same time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's and, why his work stands out so much, right? Because everyone is like, like, is that an added thing on top of it where everyone's like, like no kings at the time ever talked about how they feel or what their thoughts are. And here is Marcus Aurelius who has written down daily as one of the most yeah. powerful people in the world about how he feels. Like th that's added. Yeah, it's, it, it, would have, it, would have, it would have stood out. Um, I mean, because in a lot of cases, there's just not that much personal history. There's a lot of people talking about what you know what people did and things like that i mean but but to get into the thoughts and sort of yeah that, that is unusual that's why it stood stood up and that's why people yeah. are still and interested it's like in such a timeless piece right like everyone still talks about it honestly it's one of those things that i think i don't understand it enough like the marcus Aurelius meditation book because people talk about it very highly right like i feel like i haven't grasped it to the level that people do because people talk about it like it's the most insane thing ever and i don't know like i i've tried reading it but i even though yeah. it's like very nice but i think i'm missing some context right i need to know more context for it for it to impact me the way that it has impacted other people yeah i'll admit that i'm similar to you i mean yeah. i've i've read through it a couple times but i i never yeah yeah i never really read it too closely so i can't uh... yeah it would be i need to find someone who finds that book amazing and have a conversation with them if you, if you know anyone, let me know. I, I, I think I would listen to that. I look yeah. forward to hearing that on your next podcast. But so, unfortunately, yeah. that's definitely not me. All right. If anyone listening, I don't know if anyone listens to these things, but if anyone is listening and really likes Marcus Aurelius's meditation, just please let me know. I would love to talk to you. Anyways, all right. Let's go back to the Roman Empire. So you talked about one of the big factors was these generals wanting to take power. And then the fact that as they were doing good, they just kind of got complacent and they were doing trades with other civilizations and they were getting more powerful, right? But is there now, as these things are happening, obviously these things are slow, right? It's not like in yep. one instance, what is the big event? Yeah, is there I, such that's caused the downfall or started the downfall? I, I don't think so. I don't think there was a big event. I think it really was a systemic thing, but it's also one of those things where could it have been reversed? You know, I talk about interested in alternate history and I, you can look at it like the Eastern Roman Empire actually survived until 1453, right? They kept going, they changed and didn't, didn't actually fall. They were weakened, but they didn't disappear. So it is, it is certainly the case that the Roman Empire might not have fallen, right? You know, and what kind of, what would the world look like if it hadn't fallen? I mean, but um, was there a specific event that caused it? Um, you could point to a few specific things that happened as being important, but honestly, I, I wouldn't see there being one specific event. So it was just a slow death. It was a slow downfall. Well, it was, it's also, it, 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 in some sense, it was slow and then fast. Like a lot of times when empires fall, you could think of uh, when the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc collapsed. Mm -hmm. 
you could say they were weakened over time economically. They weren't quite as robust as they were. And then within a year, they were gone, right? Um, the Roman Empire was a bit like that. If you looked at the Rome in the early fourth century, because uh, just be put, I know people love dates, but you know, like, so 476 AD would be when the Western is usually the mark given for the end of the Western Roman Empire. So, you know, 1500 plus years ago. And in the hundred years before, if you went a hundred years before that, the Roman Empire still had most of the territory that it had at its at its height. It was really only at the very end that it just started losing losing all of it. But so, having said that, having said that, it was much weaker than it was. So in many ways, it gets weak, but still looks strong. And then once people realize, oh, it's it's going, then it can go quickly. So here's a question that you probably don't know the answer to, but I would inter be interested to know your opinion. At what point do you think these these leaders of the Roman Empire realized, like 50 years before, did they know that they're on a downfall or they were just so oblivious to what's happening that they I, thought I, like I, life is always going to be this great and, you know, I we're think too good? Like, I think that is an excellent question. And I think in many ways, if you went to somewhere in France, which was part of the Roman Empire 50 years after the Roman Empire fell, some of them would be like the Roman Empire fell. I didn't, I didn't realize that. You know, like because in some sense, a lot of the things at a town level didn't change as much as you might think. It's just you know, there was there's just fewer tax collectors coming around. There's not as many armies coming around. You know, like really? it's, it's like like in some sense, you know, like uh, it, it could be the case that uh, because a lot of it was you know like the and a lot of the successor states to the Roman Empire like, you know, the French or whatever, they consciously modeled everything they did after the Roman Empire, because that was all anyone knew about civilization at that time. So you'd have a lot of the same people running the show after as before, talking about the things in the same way as they did before. But, you know, they didn't send money back to Rome anymore, and they didn't have troops coming from other places. So, you know, and, and I think I think you really, sorry, to go back to your original question, um, did people at the time know what was going on? Yeah. Um, I think they knew they were in a tough stretch. Um, and, and I could be wrong. So any commenters, please let me know. <laughs> uh, I, I think in general, the answer is probably no, because the, it's like, well, the Roman Empire has been around for a thousand years or the Roman Republic slash empire at this point. It's been around for a thousand years. Of course, it's going to be around. What else is there? Don't be silly, right? Yeah. You know, we're going through a tough stretch. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> I, so I, I suspect that they didn't know that it was going to collapse until, even at the time it collapsed, I, I think that it was just a temporary inconvenience. You know? yeah. Like, And then 100 years later, they're like, oh, yeah, it, it did end 100 years ago, didn't it? Yeah. So I think that I have two parallel thoughts based on what you just said. One is like, yeah, we just we get used to, you know, whatever is happening and assume that it, it lasts for a long time, like whether you're talking about it. A company, you're talking about whatever, right? Like whatever organization of people, we just because it has been around, we assume that it like automatically will be around for a long time. Like even our civilization, and um, I don't know, now I'm going on a tangent, but like yeah. you all know Harari, you know, in his book, sure, uh, you've read it, have you? I, ha I have, I, I read yeah. Sapiens, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's Sapiens or the other one. Like I didn't read his. First, I didn't read the other one. So. Yeah, the Homo <laughs> Sapiens, or oh, whatever I forget what it's called. In one of the one of the books, in one of the very few chapters, he talks about the fact that, like in the previous times, in like the 1980s, 18, 
people had to worry about like pandemics and diseases. But thankfully, we are now in the 21st century and, and such diseases are completely behind us. And these things <laughs> never worry us, right? And <laughs> at the time, Nassim Taleb, like always called Yuval Harari like a, a charlatan, right? He's like, this guy like doesn't know what he's talking about. And I never understood that because I enjoyed reading the book so much. But obviously after the coronavirus, and Nassim Taleb has videos in like 2015 where he's like, we are extremely fragile because of the transportation system. Like one day this is going to happen. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting how we don't, you know, we just think, take things for granted and just assume that like, the problem is solved. It's, it's just done, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the, th the things that I think you see time and time again, if you look at history or even you look at current events, is what a thin veneer of civilization we have. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so in many ways, like if things really got bad and the institutions just stopped working, like, you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's a zombie apocalypse, but, you know, the, basically the general idea that uh, we take a lot of stuff for granted and we've based, you know, everything on it, like the banks are going to work, you know, you have your money in the bank and you can go get your money out. And then if there was ever, you see it, you know, see it when there's a run on a bank or when there's a, run on the grocery stores because there's a hurricane coming in and it's just you just it's like well where do you get food well we go to that building and we grab food there uh, but there's no food there they're not expecting it it's like ah oh, interesting I'm, yeah. I'm, i mean i'm not a prepper per se you know where you know i but i i understand why people would be yeah so yeah you could you could easily imagine a situation where you would want to have the ability to you know feed your family yeah, <laughs> if there was a crisis yeah, that's crazy. It's just we're more fragile than we think, right? And that's why, and, like, sorry, go on. Uh, so, sorry, sorry. I, I should have let you finish there. But I was going to say, like, in a lot of ways, because the more complex a civilization or a structure gets, the harder it is to just recreate if something goes wrong. Yeah. Whereas if you're living in a uh, small village in medieval times and you grow your own food, well, you're vulnerable to, you know, a drought or a famine or whatever. But, you know, it's... There's, there's fewer ways that can be disruptive, but there's so many different things that could cause our civilization to be really disruptive. And this is the exact thesis that Nassim Taleb has, right? And this is why he hates governments. Like, I think Nassim Taleb is one of the biggest, like, he is such a deep thinker and his ideas are so fresh and, and new and novel. And he's just, he believes in them so much. He's a character like I've never seen, you know? It just seems like he's possessed, like he just really believes in these ideas. And he's not ashamed to like call anyone out on it. And he just, he, he does love, love to, yeah. he loves to call people idiots for sure. And Which is a bad thing, right? But at I, the same time, he but it just, doesn't, it, yeah. It, yeah, I wouldn't say it invalidates his thesis. I, I enjoy him as well. Sorry. Yeah, it's just he believes himself so much that, yeah, it's really interesting. Where when someone else like doesn't take the time to understand what he's saying, it's just, and he thinks in their, in his mind that they're being like unfaithful. He just like calls them out. <laughs> he just calls out people like, you know, like a Harvard professor or like the head of like, I don't know, the some big, you know, like some big shot. And he just doesn't care. He like goes on Twitter and it's like, yeah, this guy's a charlatan. He doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah, like, yeah. What? Like, yeah. what is going on here? Yeah, in intellectual yet idiot. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Intellectual, yeah. I love reading his books, but they're a bit too long. Like, I love reading Black Swan, but Anti-Fragile, like, I love it, you know, when I'm in the right mind, I, I love reading it, but sometimes it just goes in different directions. Anyways, we went on yet another tangent. I don't know if you find yeah. this tangent interesting. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I, I enjoy that. Uh, yeah. 
Are you, is, is, are you, do you need to attend to something? No, the cats are fighting here. Stop that. <laughs> is that okay? Or I okay just didn't want that. I, they'll be Don't fine. be like the government. Don't try to micromanage everything, all right? Yeah. Because uh, then I'll... if anything happens, then there will be more chaos. Just yeah, let, no, let no. it happen, all right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so back to this. The other part that I found interesting, you said that after the Roman Empire fell, people would have not noticed it that much necessarily. People who were part of the civilization. That to be very clear, yeah. I should say peasants wouldn't have noticed it that much. <laughs> Certainly you. if you were a scholar or a soldier or you know a cleric or something, you sure as hell would have noticed it at a high level. Yeah. But a lot of people who are just because people in in some I would compare it to, you know to make a corporate analogy. Like when we when we have a corporate restructuring. Okay. All right. I know, love you, this. I love to hear it. Let's hear it. Well you know when you get that email saying like you know like oh we've switched from this group to this group. This guy's now our our director and we're under this organization and then you know your manager will pull you in and talk about how monumental this change is and all these things that have happened and then you go back and you do the same job that day that you did the previous day right i love this analogy <laughs> i mean that, that's basically it so if you're a peasant you, you you know it's like oh we got a new you know meet the new boss same as the old boss to, to quote the who right yeah. you know like you know, on some level, your job didn't change at all. So you know, like, oh, oh, new new Roman emperor now. Okay, but having said that, having said that, like with our corporate things, all of a sudden things did change, and you know, your new management did a bad job, and y'all got laid off or something, yeah. right? You know, you you could imagine that the changes at the top you don't think are a big deal actually have monumental and catastrophic events, but it but, and you don't you don't see it on an instantaneous basis. You just feel its effects over time. So that would be the best way I would. But know. you. It, I think the corporate changes. So I think, first of all, our experiences is very unique, right? Because we work at one of the biggest companies in the world in terms of the number of people that work there. And yeah. I think part of the reason that we're so insensitive to these changes is because changes happen so much. Did in the Roman Empire time, a lot of changes happen? Or was the Roman Empire collapsing? Like, just... Well, you would, have, you would have seen emperors change all the time, right? Okay. You know, like, and, so it's and very th similar. Th yeah. yeah, so I mean, well, no, I'd say they had a lot more change you know they would have like the year of the four emperors and things like that you know like that would sometimes happen okay you know they but having said that a lot of it was it was board it was like boardroom shuffling yeah you know like you know it's like a it's like good news this guy's now running the board and he's asking the same requirements of you that the old guy did but now you're doing it for this guy okay yeah. you know does that change my life right like you know you'd see a lot of that so the higher up you go the more you would because if you were like a governor of Bithynia or something stupid, and yeah. you were like the, the the client of the Roman emperor, and then you get a telegram going like, oh, the Roman emperor has been deposed and he's been replaced by another one. Well, you might be killed at that point, right? So for you, that sure as hell matters. But for the peasants in the field outside your house, they're like, whatever. Yeah. They'll go, someone else will come, we'll be fine. And because they're still doing the basic needs, right? It's, like, it's not like they're like, their daily work will change because they still, whatever they need to farm or they need to like shovel or they need to, whatever they need to do, they still yeah. need to do that because that's the basic needs of the. Yeah, yeah, that's stuff you're still gonna have to do. But having said that, if there's armies marching through back and forth all fighting and you're growing food, they're gonna eat all your food, right? So, I mean, these things do matter even to like the lowly peasant. Yeah, it's not like yeah. you don't notice it, but yeah, it's like who's running the show, you, you could care less, right? So <laughs> what were the, is, is the word peasants, the origins of it is from the, when the, where are the origins of the word peasant? 
Oh gosh. Um, well, peasant just means like a, a, a rural worker. I mean, you, you just well, think that I, concept I, came along at some point in the history of civilization, right? Because it didn't exist when they were man, like we we're hunter gatherers. Yeah. I mean, I guess they've always had different words for it, but if you're right, in a hunter-gatherer, this is what they've said about hunter-gatherer civilizations is they're generally more egalitarian in a sense, yeah. you know, like, and it's more like the chief will be the strong guy who's able to get guys to go with him rather than someone living in a palace who has a bunch of people yeah. waiting on. It's only when you get the, the settled farming civilizations that you end up getting the big, you know, the big king or the big emperor and you have all the, you know, you, you you have the concept of peasants, you know, basically people who don't have any power, kind of not so much. I mean, they sort of have like feudalism where you're kind of owned, but you're not a slave per se, but you're the property essentially of the nobles and you're, you can't just go and do whatever you want. And that is because from the peasants point of view, there is no other option, right? Because yeah. Because from their point of view, this is the only way to live and survive. Well, it, 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 at that time, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a deal in a sense. The peasants basically pledging like, we have to stay here. We have to do the stuff for the, the Lord, but he'll protect us from the other Lords who are gonna kill us if we don't have him, right? Because you need, you need to have someone with an army to protect your, your place so that the, you know, the, the Mongols over the next hill don't come by and, and kill everyone, you know, or whatever. So, so were they so, resentful towards the, the kings or they understood that we live in this society and in order for us to prosper? I ask these questions as if you have talked to a peasant at yeah, that time. I don't know yeah. how... You, you, uh, generally speaking, I, I would reference, you know, you know, like what uh, David Foster Wallace did the story about, you know, the fish swimming in water, you know, that one? No, it's like. Not. I don't want to well, go listen to him tell it. It's a better story. But the idea is that, like, you can imagine these these two young fish are just swimming down, you know, swimming along, and they come by this old guy, and and the little young fish says to the old fish, "You're like, how's the water today?" And the old fish goes, "What the hell is water?" Right. Yeah. So the, the idea is, if you're living in water and you're that's your world, you don't think outside of it, right? You just think of that as your life. So, I mean, uh, for a peasant to think about, well, what if we weren't peasants and had a lord at that time? Generally speaking, they didn't think of that. It didn't even occur to them. But right? here's the interesting part, though. Right? Do, I, I think there are certain personality traits where um, where people just question things more, right? Is, is that a fair statement to make? Yeah, yeah. You, you would get to a certain, certainly the educated people would think about these questions and so you know you like the, the clerics to be a, educated in order to question basic things why is that oh, a prerequisite so, sorry sorry I, I shouldn't say you have to have had an education more accurately you need to have the time yeah. to, to sort of like if, if you were independently wealthy and not educated i'm sure you would also maybe start thinking of these things but i'm just some, someone who's getting up at eight o'clock and then or six o'clock or four o'clock or whatever and like working in a field all day you know the luxury it's a luxury belief right you, you might complain about things you might complain that your 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 shift supervisor is, is an asshole but you're not liable to be thinking well what if we didn't have this at all what if we had a you know a, a narco-communist collective or something right you know like that's not yeah. likely well wow, there, there, there'd always be some people who would do that but they weren't liable to be 
hardcore peasants, they'd end up as clerics or, you know, and, and in the middle ages, you know, like if you were that sort of person, you go off to a monastery and sit around thinking or, or you become a government official or, you know, a, a unit or, you know, a lecturer, like a, you know. That's, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of those things apply to our modern day too, right? It's, it's the same thing in the modern day. It's, it's, it really is a luxury to think about these things and we don't even realize how much like the fact that you and i are just talking right now do you understand how many people like we are so lucky to just be able to do this do you know what oh, i mean yeah absolutely yeah it is crazy how lucky we are like we we have to be so grateful that i can just sit here like relaxed and talk to you without you like being worried about something crazy catastrophic or me being worried about something catastrophic yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you think of most of history, to bring back that history, yeah. the idea is like people are worried about where their next meal is coming from. You know, no. are, are my kids safe? You know, is my husband who's off fighting in a war, is he going to die? You know, are my, are my sons who went off to, you know, you, you could imagine all sorts of things that people worry about. And to some extent, people still worry about those things, but it's not to the same level that, that it was in the past. In, in well, our society. Yeah, but I think our perspective is very different too, right? There's probably billions of human beings right now that still have those, yeah. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean to say like our yeah, yeah, particular yeah. experience, we think exactly. like that. But, but having said that, there's just enough of that that comes into a lot of people would be like, well, of course I think about these things. What are you, crazy? I'm worried about whether I'll, you know, be able to balance my checkbook or afford a trip or, you know, like people will find challenges. It's just not as, you know, fundamental where, you know, the risk of death is, is, is looming over you like it yeah. would have been in the past. Yeah. yeah. But, but you think we as human beings generally, if you had to like think of the percentage of the population that just has these conversations and like questions, things has increased over time. It has, right? It must. Because we live in societies where. Yes. And I, I think that's the case. And, and, and you have to remember a lot of the time in the past, people would, have looked, people would have looked down on the people who spend their time having these wasteful conversations about nothing, right? You know, like, you know, we got, uh, we got horses to, to feed and, you know, we got, uh, you know, we got grain to harvest. You know, what the hell are you talking about that nonsense for? Get back to work, Peyton. You know, like you could imagine a lot of old gruff old guys, you know, just being kind of annoyed at this sort of discussion because what, what the hell point of it is it, right? So, so in some respects, uh, but having said that, I think these things are pointful, you know, they have impact to, to, to defend thinking about trivia or whatever, but you're right. If you're worried about the necessities, you don't, you don't have to. So then why is it that a lot of these, you know, very, like the artists, I mean, you can call Marcus Aurelius an artist, right? Because he just put something into paper or like Shakespeare, I mean, Shakespeare is obviously way later, but a lot of these artists, like even in Persian culture, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Persian poetry, uh, but Persian poetry is a huge thing. And we have poets like Rumi and Hafez and all these guys who are just magnificent poets who just took time and, and you know, made it. So they were even a bigger outlier back then, right? And why don't we have that as much? Or do we just not appreciate the fact that we have it as much? Oh, I think we do. I mean, you could think of entire pop culture and, you know, rock musicians is, is the same you know, people go off to pursue creating art, right? I mean, there's, it's just not Persian 
literature, you know, in the same <laughs> sense. Yeah, but I don't look at that the same though, right? Because I think of like the pop culture, like the, the artist who's trying to make the number one song on the billboard. They're just like kind of looking at trends and, you know, going off by, right? Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? I don't know. If it is. Uh, slightly fair, I would say. I would say that in general, like you could pick any, any art form, like just painting or whatever. I mean, there, there's far more people who are doing it for the love of the art than there are trying to get rich off of it. And I'm even even with the uh, music, you know, the, you might think, oh, well, Britney Spears or someone, you know, famous yeah. or, you know, is a certain way. But, you know, there's there's not that many people at that level. There's a if you go two levels below them, there's thousands of people for the for the love of the art going out and playing a show every couple of weeks at their coffee shop while they're working a job just because they they, they feel, you know, the need to pursue art. And it's like, you know, would they like to get rich? I'm sure they would, but many of these people have decided, you know, long ago, it's not going to happen for them. And I think that's most people in most professions eventually come to the realization that, you know, you know, I'm not going to be Elon Musk. I, I know you're not there yet, and I wish yeah. you well as you get there. But you know, some of us older types, you know, we 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 may come to to accept that. And I think that's with with art, right? But, but that's the interesting part, right? Like, because I think some of the most successful people in my eyes, which obviously because you define success differently, right? Like, I truly believe that Elon Musk's main goal has never been about getting rich, right? Of course. I, yeah. I think he's a, I, I mean, I use it, the, the word possessed in an interesting way, but he has just been so consumed by the idea for whatever reason that I should spend my time in a sense that it makes humanity better. I want to advance electric vehicles by five years. And I want human beings to have a civilization on Mars because I know how fragile earth is and in order for humanity to survive. And then just because he's doing those things and executing on it at such a high level, he's getting rewarded with cash, you know? Whereas a lot of people, I mean, it sounds like tr almost trivial to say, right? But like even the artists, you know, some specific artists, like you have some friends or some like, um, you know, of someone like a high school friend who just wanted to be a singer so they could make a lot of money. And it's almost as like we as human beings can tell people's different motives, at least from our perspective, you know, and it's yeah. very different when someone does something because they intrinsically think that it's valuable versus like, I'm just doing this because I think it gives me the chance to make the most amount of money. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, I agree. Authenticity is key. And once you learn how to fake that, you have it made. Yeah. But, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, after all we talked about, you say but, that. <laughs> but, but, but no, no, I mean, you're right. People can tell if someone is, uh, is, is a fraud. Eventually, people get found out. So, if you, you know, that, that's why the people who are pursuing the art or whatever for, for art's sake, you know, they, they, you know, things go against them. They, they still go with it. And because a lot of times if you just go for every trend and you go for every change and you, you don't really have a, a sense, then, then you wash away, right? It's, it, you have to be true to yourself in a sense. Again, I just tell me if this doesn't interest you and we talk, we can talk about something else, but I mean, why do you think, where do these interests, like these obsessions come from, right? Like I'm thinking of the artist image where, you know, like there's this artist called Alan Raymond. Um, he's not that big. And this other artist called JMSN. I, I don't usually know artists that are very small, but like JMSN, I've gone to his concert three, four times over a span of six years. And the first time that I went to his concert, I just saw a, a 
music video by him and i went to his concert there was like 30 people literally 30 people at the concert right and then i got a shirt from him he signed my shirt and i've gone to his concerts like multiple times and then it, there was a three-year gap where i didn't see him and then after three years i went and saw him and there were still like 40 50 people at this concert but he was having a fantastic time and it seemed from my perspective it's not like he's longing for like a massive crowd. He's just making the music that he really wants to make. And if people like it, that's good. But he's having a great time, right? But then there's other artists who would just be like, well, I guess this is not popular. You know, like I need to make something that's very popular so that a lot of people listen to it. I find those two characters to be very interesting, specifically those characters that just get like kind of possessed, obsessed with something where they're just like, you know, like I really enjoy doing this. And this is the best use of my time. If it so happens that it brings me monetary value on top of the feeling that I get of doing it, then my life is amazing. But the fact that I can only do this and I feel that, I feel that, you know, I feel great spending my time doing this, then that's great to begin with. The money does not matter that much. Do you, uh, am I making yeah, sense to you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. Um... I, I definitely agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't know. Like again, I want to attach it, but those characters are very interesting. They're they well, seem. I, I think the trick is 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 if you're doing something that's just you're driven, right? You know, yeah. like I mean, and it's the, the inspiration that you have, um, you can withstand ebbs and flows, and you know, you can keep up with it. It's just you know, it's an obsession, as you said, right? Um, and and people people who are able to do that have a lot more staying power because you're not just waiting to, to get rewarded. Mm -hmm. And but how do you get that sort of obsession? Um, something you just get a bug, right? Sometimes you know, like, and how do you know this person got this bug and that person got that one? It's it's really a, a question of origins of creativity and artist artistry. I mean, unfortunately, I'm an engineer. I don't know too much about. Yeah, no, but I think you have some art. Like you appreciate stuff. I think you have some obsessions too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, like this now. Now I can we can talk about a book that I understand why people find so valuable, "Man's Search for Meaning." Like that is such a crazy. Like you know, like people talk highly of it. I read it and I understand why people talk so highly of it, because his experiences and like his conclusion of like life is all about your why, and his examples of is is just the best. You know, it's just such a good piece of art in passing that message along yeah i'll confess i haven't read it so I. Can't. oh my god you have I to can't. read it jeff you will love it i'll guarantee okay. you, you'll love it so just okay. read it as like your next book well well thank, thank you payment i definitely yeah. will yeah okay all right so we have gone all over the place we're talking about the roman empire is there anything else we can say about the roman empire sorry i i don't know if this is kind of annoying that i asked these like we no, go no, on these no. tangents or not but, no, no, uh, no. Tangents are good. If we didn't have tangents, we'd be stuck at a point. And that would be <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think uh, I think that's all we have to say about the Roman Empire the Roman today. Empire. So, yeah. yeah. All right, Jeff. I think I think we this conversation went all over the place. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I, don't know. I hope you well, did it too. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed yeah. it as well, and I, I hope uh, I hope. Yeah, I, I hope you, you enjoyed it as well. Say, I, I was gonna say I hope you enjoyed it, but you just said you enjoyed it, so that was a dumb <laughs> thing to say. And I couldn't get out of the sentence, so I'll just stop there. Okay. 
I thought you were going to say, I hope the audience enjoys it. And they were like, which audience? But that's, that's, that's my, I'm yeah. sure someone would listen to it. Well, you I, never, you never know what's going to go viral, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine this is how like Joe Rogan and stuff like that. Right. Like they were just talking and now those videos have like millions of views. It must be crazy for him. It's like, what the hell is going on? Like, why are people listening to me? This is crazy. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Oh, only I'll time will so. tell. <laughs> yeah. Only I, I'm like, doing, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, you heard what our thoughts are. I would love to hear what's yours. Go to anchor.fm slash that random thought and send us a voice note letting us know what you think. <laughs>